change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. And we must continue to follow the dictates of our conscience, even if that means breaking unjust laws. What do you call second-class citizenship? Why, that's colonization. Second-class citizenship is nothing but 20th century slavery. And I do not plan to cooperate with evil at any it's point. It's time today for us to start doing some standing and some fighting to back that up. What's going on, fellas? What's going on, guys? What's happening? What's up? What's up? How's everybody feeling? Everybody all right? Yeah, man. I'm doing real good, man. I'm enjoying the afternoon. I appreciate you guys stepping on and uh, getting out here. Uh, I know it's late night, but we're going to have a good time, man. Uh, to all the uh, watchers and listeners out there, welcome to the Martin Times Malcolm Show. We're here back again for the second time. Enjoying our times making this for you guys. Right now, we're in the pilot phase, so you guys are not seeing us live, but you're going to enjoy listening to us after having so many hours of footage that we've recorded. We get a chance to let you guys in on our brains, how we look at things going on in the world. You know, um, Anuki Kefreye Sanana Tumreye, for those who know what that means, I am Kefreye Sanana Tumreye. A, and some people know me as Nate, some people know me as Seven Stars, some people know me as a lot of different names. At different times, you're going to hear me named as different names by different people, depending on who's on the show. But I want to introduce the people that we talking with on the show today, and we got Shaka right here. I'm going to let him go for it. Peace, everybody. My name is Shaka, uh, artist, teacher, father. I do a little bit of everything. Um, I'm a priest um, in the Yoruba tradition. I got long names, too, like my brother over here. Uh, but, you know, that's who I am right now. So I'm going to pass it on to my boy, A.D. Uh, peace to everybody. What's good? What's good? Uh, my name is Adam Duncan. It's my born name. And then, you know, I'm affectionately known as A.D. to a select few. Um, and, uh, yeah, similar to Shaka, like you said, um, uh, uh, educator, father, uh, you know, my my trade is is marketing, but, uh, you know, I'm a connoisseur of all things uh, fine art and sports related. So uh, good to be back with you brothers again and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome, man. So we're going to go straight to it, man. Word on the street, man. We've been having a lot of strikes in America, man. This uh, COVID pandemic is no uh, stranger to anybody on the planet at this point, we've all been affected. This is a worldwide event, man. And there's a lot of people that have to work every day, day in and out, no matter what. And they're the people that even from February and March, when it started to now, they had to be out on the front lines. So your doctors, your nurses, your paramedics, your police officers, your service people all had to be out in the street all to uh, help you and me whenever something would be needed, even your people working at the grocery stores. And uh, there's several strikes that have been going on uh, in those communities of people in those essential worker uh, workforces. And uh, I want to give you know the team a uh, chance to talk about that a little bit because I've seen it affect our community. Uh, my son was born at a hospital here in Oakland um, at the Highland Hospital. And it wasn't but a uh, thing maybe, uh, maybe about two or three weeks ago where uh, I realized that 
they were on strike. And the interesting thing was we were actually needing some care that we needed to go back to the hospital, but we weren't getting the responses that we actually expected to get from the people that we expected to get them from. And then I go and look at the news and find out that the people were on strike. And I see the nurses that helped my son be born actually out on the street talking about not having the proper gear for um, protecting themselves from the, the disease or um, having uh, people not having the proper um, support, having proper hours or benefits, whatever. Um, so just knowing that there was a strike going on with people who really out here to sell, save lives and give birth, it really hurt my heart, man. So I wanted to kind of bring that topic up to the team, man, because um, that's something that I know is affecting everybody all over America, especially the uh, black men and women. So um, I'm going to toss that out there for you guys to talk about, man, because uh, that's something that I really feel like is near and dear to me as a person that's starting to grow as a dad. Yeah, uh, I'll jump right in on that one, Nate. I I can uh, I have a couple different perspectives on that. One, I I am essential uh, right now. Uh, I I work in an Amazon facility um, full time where, you know, we have uh, daily access to free testing. Um, and, you know, this is around the time of the year where, um, obviously they're a lot more busy, you know, this is their, what we call peak season. Um, so, um, from one standpoint, I look at it as that, and, you know, considering where I am personally, uh, I consider myself blessed and fortunate. Um, you know, the, the, I know a lot of us are still working from home. Uh, but there's a lot of people that are, you know, during this whole entire time, going back to March, um, have still been getting up and going to, you know, whether it be your fast food place or, you know, people that are working in gas stations and hotels. Um, and a lot of these people, you know, the ironic thing is with this pandemic, um, you know, it's exposed kind of the the weakness in our system that um, I think you know, the healthcare was trying to address, you know, with the healthcare reform, but a lot of people just don't have access to the quality of healthcare that we should all have, you know, and then, you know, for the people who are obviously working in the medical profession, you know, nurses, doctors, several of my friends, you know, their spouses are nurses, you know. Um, I mean, I, I consider, you know, there's that level, but I think what doesn't get talked about enough is, you know, just our mental health as a whole um, with everybody, the way that we've had to adjust to the new normal. So um, whether it be when it comes to like, we have the holidays coming up and people are considering whether or not they're going to be spending time with family and what that's going to look like. Um, there's a lot of different layers. And I know, you know, just, you know, with you yourself having that experience of having a child during pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I went through that myself two years ago and just that, any other time is can be pretty stressful. So just um, having to imagine going through that in this time, 2020, is a lot. Um, but um, yeah, man, healthcare is important. Mental health is important, you know. And I think that that's one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough. But I mean, Shaka, you let me know. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, my baby was born during this uh, pandemic um my son and uh in maryland uh hospital and it was an interesting uh situation to be in um to see the the healthcare workers and their uh full gear 
and um, trying to deliver this child, you know, me in full gear, uh, me only being able to go in at certain points in times, you know what I'm saying? Um, even going for doctor visits, uh, I couldn't go in, you know, um, when it was time for her to go in with the baby. And so uh, it, it, it created a different feeling um, uh, for delivering children, you know what I'm saying, for folks who had children during this time period. But also, like, I want to say something about essential workers. You know, I think that they don't get enough um, credit, you know what I'm saying, because these are the people who are on the front lines. Like, you have um, folks who are in power, who are making decisions, who have not gone to medical schools, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to make decisions for our lives. And um, these essential workers are still doing the work, no matter what their politics are. And many of them have lost their families, lost their own lives. And um, we we owe a great debt to them. Um, and I think that uh, folks who are not essential workers need to take the advice and stay your ass home. That's a, such a fact, man. I think that we get to a point where we take for granted the living in America fact that we got a system and so many systematic things that we get used to having. They're usually run by people. And it's difficult to appreciate that. But this is one of those times where we have to learn how to appreciate that. Um, as we go into the next thing that we're going to talk about, I wanted to make sure that the audience understood what we are bringing to this, um, you know, community. And uh, the name of the show being Martin Times Malcolm. And I know that you guys might be out there wondering, like, what in the world are you guys talking about? Is Martin Times Malcolm. Like, wh why did we come up with this? So I wanted to take a few minutes and share with you guys where this name came from. Um, everyone on the planet, I know anyone listening to this video knows about Martin Luther King and his sacrifice and knows about Malcolm X and his sacrifice and the impact that they both had on communities during their lives and after. A lot of their lives were appreciated posthumously and um, the communities that they've affected in a way have kind of separated where you see now where I see the community of people who call themselves conscious, they kind of fall in line looking at Malcolm X as like a messianic figure or at least a, a top level figure in their movements, in the level of like what we aspire to. And then you also see Martin Luther King representing that as well. And you know, merging those two thought waves was so important to me because coming from an educated and conscious background, I see the educated, communities that I've always been a part of, kind of highlighting the readings, the teachings and ways of Martin. And then I've always, as a part of my conscious community, seen the highlight of Malcolm. And, um, you know, I always thought, you know, as having conversations with some of my bros, even on this call, I had conversations with myself even, thinking about what would it have been like if Martin never got assassinated and Malcolm never got assassinated and they lived to live these days out and they got a chance to see what we're going through and have a chance to comment on it. Everybody saw the Malcolm X documentary. And man, that was a, a big one for me. I'm not sure if you guys saw the Netflix documentary on who killed Malcolm X. But, uh, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, that's the one I was wondering if that's what you were talking about. The more recent one, yeah, the who killed Watch. Malcolm X documentary. Watch that. So, I mean, what came out in it was pretty much um, the person who killed Malcolm X came out of the mosque from Mosque 25 in North New Jersey, which is where I'm from, which was a mosque that I frequent. 
You know what I'm saying? And so like it was um, and some of the people in the documentary I like saw and I knew, you know, and grew up, you know, I'm from North New Jersey, born and raised. And so um, it was interesting for me and gave me a different perspective on um, that time period and uh, what was going on, you know. And uh, when I think about like Martin and Malcolm, I think about uh, their two positions, right? Like one was a reformist. Martin Luther King, you know, we all went to his school, you know, my big ups to Morehouse College. You know what I'm saying? Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, alumni from Morehouse, a civil rights leader, amazing civil rights leader, worked with SCLC um, and various organizations. You know, uh, I think that, you know, Martin's reformist uh, political uh, uh, movement kind of compared with Malcolm's radical revolutionary movement. And although they were moving in two different directions, helped to make gains together. So, indeed, true indeed. And that's well, actually, Shaka, let me let me uh, jump because one of the things that I think is the, the great thing about why we named it this is because I like to look at it, and this might be revisionist on my part, but from what I understand, you know, and what I've learned about both men and the journey, the, the, as far as their trajectory and the path they were on. By the time, and of course, their both of their lives were cut short, premature. Right. But at the time when they were both taken out, they were actually, in my opinion, they were moving closer together. You know, it was like at one point, and I think that's the narrative that we hear a lot. Um, you know, regardless of whether you you know gone on to college or whatever, but far too often we um, are we get the depiction of Martin as a peaceful pacifist, you know, uh, from the Gandhi teachings and Malcolm as this extreme radical revolutionary figure um, in the nation of Islam. And they, I don't think there was, they were that far apart. You know, I, it seemed like at towards, especially towards the end of their lives, they I, were both moving towards uh, things that unify us more than separate us. So whether it be Martin with, you know, moving on to like the worker struggle and classism, or whether it be with Malcolm, with moving away from the nation of Islam and understanding that Islam is a is a global religion that doesn't just include black people, um, that he was able to transcend uh, being defined, um, you know, as a as a key figure of the nation of Islam. And when you spin that now, you know, a good friend of all of ours, you know, you know, say his name, but. I remember him sharing a story about going through a PhD program at a at the school where I had this shirt at OSU, and he was in the African Studies program. And um, his first day in this PhD program, he's a TA, he's a teacher's assistant, and uh, he wore a Malcolm X hat. And a student in the class was offended, you know, to the point where he got feedback from the professor saying that a student felt threatened by him wearing a Malcolm X hat. And um, you know, not needless to say. Um, you know, he wasn't, there was nothing that came behind that, but it was just surprising that someone, you know, Caucasian would feel threatened by a teacher wearing a Malcolm X hat. So I think it's on us to redefine that narrative about, you know, what Malcolm X truly stood for. And at the same time, what Martin stood for. Well, I think that, um, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that we don't want to take away from Malcolm's radical revolutionary history though you know what i'm saying like even though he did move into uh, away from nation islam he actually started moving towards uh african freedom movements 
um, yeah. in West Africa. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, although, yes, he did, he did believe in um, a, a more humanist approach to Islam, his politics still remain the same. And I think right. that we don't want to take that away from him. And then also with Brother Martin Luther King, yes, you're right. They did start pairing a little bit closer to each other as they got um, close to their death. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. led the People's March and stuff like that. But uh, he was still a reformist. He still believed, right. that there were, you know, we could reach the mountaintops. And, not, and, I, and I, I don't take anything away from that. You know what I'm saying? Right. At the same time, you know, that's who he was, you know? Right. What we're doing, man, what we're doing with this is we're able to, <clears throat> as a part of this uh, movement that we're starting, and this podcast is just the beginning of the movement, you guys stay tuned, you know, subscribe to the channel, you know, subscribe to the podcast, stay tuned with what we got going on, because we're going to keep rolling, and we're going to keep rolling, we're going to keep rolling, but the reason why we did this is because we're using the power of what built Martin and the power of what built Malcolm. And there's a math, the mathematics involved with that because you see the X and that's just like saying Martin times Malcolm. And so that's the power. You get the intelligence and the power. You know, I, I see that um, Martin to me represented a man of um, responsibility. And I feel like um, Malcolm represented a man of truth. And together, I want to represent that for our community and uh, instill that sense in our black community, black men, black women, black children, for the black family, more often than not. You know, in our community, we're gonna need more role models. And I feel like it's important right now as we move into 2021 to start thinking about being creative and to create as opposed to consume. You know, we're gonna be consumers because we have to eat, but we're the number one consumer in a lot of markets. And I don't have a problem with that. But what I do have a problem with is the lack of creation and production that we have as a community. So I have to start that within myself and my team. And we're together going to create what I hope is a great production for you guys. And so that's the reason why we obligated that out by putting Martin and Malcolm on there. Like once you put yourself out there like that, you got to come hard, you know. So that's the reason why. That's to-, to that. Like I like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? When I think of like Martin, I think of like the heart, right? And when I think of Malcolm X, I think of like strength, right? And I think that they both was the symbol of like the mouthpiece. Like they both spoke truth to power, you know what I'm saying? And so it's like you use that that heart and that strength in order to back up what you say. And I think that's what they both did. Totally, man. So moving on to another topic, man, this is, gets a little bit light, you know. We gonna talk about something that affects everybody, man. This is where we had a water cooler. You know, you know, when you guys do a good workout, you know, you go out there, you do your five minute run then you stretch and then you get into your real workout. You know what I'm saying? So this right now is a little stretch. You know what I'm saying? So we're doing the water cooler and uh, we're going to bring up a little light topic, man. Um, I'm very proud of LeBron, even though, honestly, admittedly, not a LeBron fan. I am the fan of any black man that's out here doing positively in the community for other people and doing it for other families because, uh, as an athlete, he's uh, blessed with an opportunity to create legendary, uh, legendary status for himself and generational wealth for his family. But what he can do for families outside of himself and that impact, it does matter to me, regardless of what he does on the court. And um, the fact that he built a school in Ohio, man, means a lot to everybody. It definitely means a lot to me. And uh, that's a goal that a lot of people have had, uh, you know, in the uh, conscious community. Everybody heard of uh, Omar Johnson and how he's tried to have a school and how he's raised money 
And I don't know about y'all. I haven't seen a school yet. And so um, considering that, I always want to kind of think about how, you know, an athlete was able to actually create something and get it on the ground, get it built, get it established and actually had students in it already. Like it's actually starting to be a part of the conversation. It's no longer a part of like the imagination of the community at large. So, you know, I'm just sitting there like now that he's won a fourth championship, now that he's a little bit more, uh, you know, acclimated with his legendary status, should he be doing that in other communities other than the one he did in his home? Like that could be looked at like a good um, prototype. Could we spread that out in the other communities and affect the other communities, man? Like, what y'all think? I got to take this one first. I'm sorry. So, I'm going to be the first to admit, LeBron's my guy. That's the shortest, easiest way I can say that. But, you know, I'm obviously from Ohio. Watch LeBron. I got the opportunity to see him play once in high school, his senior year of high school. And I came back. You know, that was like my second year in Morehouse. And I told everybody, like, this dude is about to be a beast. So, you know, obviously being from, you know, Ohio, we've had other great, you know, athletes. But LeBron, you know, is a once in a generation uh, type talent. And the fact that he's been able to not only meet those expectations that he had at such an early age, but exceed those um, and do it in a way that represent himself, his family well. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people will go to like his off the court things like the school or just the fact that, you know, he's been a good example, um, you know, and um, proud of all of that. That said, uh, one of the things that I remember, you know, when we all went to Morehouse, a lot of us, you know, I, I, I probably going to get the quote wrong, but I believe it was Benjamin Mays that said, you know, the point of us matriculating through Morehouse is to go and learn and then take that knowledge back to our community. So to answer the question about, you know, should LeBron be doing, um, you know, this type of work in other places, certainly he has the resources to do it. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that, like, you know, he's active in the community in L.A. You know, I, I was aware of some of the things he did while he was in Miami as well. Um, but I think more so that the real impact in his legacy is just like, um, you know, raising the consciousness of where, you know, when we were all grew up in the era of Jordan. Jordan infamously said Republicans buy sneakers too, you know, and I think even earlier in LeBron's career, he was hesitant to, you know, be vocal uh, about, uh, you know, injustice where it was going on here in the U.S. And that's something that slowly he came around to. So I think when you look at either, you know, him or somebody like a Kaepernick, um, you know, there's they you have the quote, they walk so that others can run. And obviously now we see a trend with a lot of younger athletes being vocal and speaking out. Um, you know, LeBron is a part of that. So I think that is a, a bigger part of his legacy. And obviously the championships and all of that, um, you know, validate that and just amplify his message. I agree. I think that LeBron, he did an amazing thing by doing this. He helps uh, many single black women, you know, many single families, you know what I'm saying? Just, uh, is an amazing thing. I think that for any athlete, any person um, that tries to make that type of effort, I, I applaud them, right? Um, I think that it'd be great if he teaches other folks how to do it, you know what I'm saying, or how to, you know, achieve that, you know what I mean? But outside, I, I really can't put too much on 
someone who does something like that, right? Like when you decide that you're going to build a school, as long as you're making sure that there's some sort of like good curriculum and that they're getting like what they need, man, you've done your part, man. I think that we need more folks to say, you know what, I'm going to step up and do that too. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm going to make sure that I'm supporting people like him. You know what I'm saying? Because we have a lot of folks in the community that say that they're going to do certain things and um, they don't do it. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to be able to, you know, one, strategize together and make sure that like when people have good ideas like that, they have folks that's going to back them. You know what I'm saying? And that person that has that good idea actually has good intentions. You know what I'm saying? So I think I had all of those things. You think that people should reach out to LeBron and say, you know, um, like, let's say you had a school project and you wanted to do something. Do you think that he should be like listening to people put that put together proposals? Should people be going to him and saying, hey, can you help us market this? Or if you look at that, like, because I mean, I look at it like this man got enough uh, clout to right. do things that get done. If he has his name on something, most people are not going to block it. You yourself going to do something, going to have a hard time to accomplish the same thing he can do with a phone call. That's true. But I understand, like, first of all, I think we need to spread the responsibility around the community. You know what I'm saying? Like, spread the responsibility amongst the celebrities, right? So, like, if we're, if we're putting all this on LeBron, I don't think that it's, it's fair for us to jump on LeBron all the time about X, Y, and Z projects. If he's down for it, great. You know what I'm saying? But if not, then what's up with uh, some of these other athletes, you know, who haven't done anything? You know what I'm saying? When at one point, at what point does it become a community thing? And we're like, we're coming to the athletes like, hey, you know, you grew up, you grew up here. So now how are we going to uh, help us move forward? I mean, I think uh, that LeBron, obviously, with his uh, platform and you know, his level of influence gets a lot of the accolades, but it's important to mention like one for a fact that I know one of my favorite podcasts is Jalen and Jacoby. So Jalen Rose, you know, has the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy. He had a school before LeBron um, that's based out of Detroit where he's from. And I think that, you know, obviously we want athletes to go back to, you know, the communities, whether it be, um, you know, Detroit, Chicago, Oakland, you know, uh, and I'm sure that those things are happening. They may not get as publicized as much as LeBron, but um, but I think that it's on us to also encourage people to look for those opportunities that are already there in their communities that they may not be aware of. Um, you know, case in point, I, I worked for four years at a small private school here in Columbus. It's the only Black-owned school here in Columbus, and it was started by a couple that's a Spellhouse couple. Uh, both their sons graduated from Morehouse as well. Um, you know, their sons are a little bit younger than us, but I had no idea that this school existed except for the fact that my best friend from high school, his son was going to school there. And he was like, yeah, you should check that out. So had I not, you know, had I not known him, I wouldn't have known that this school existed. So it's, it's definitely on us to, you know, find organizations and schools that are already, um, you know, doing that work in the community. And whether it be donating your time or your talent or your treasure um, to get involved. So, yeah, man, um, as we get, you know, to the point where we think about athletes and their impact, you know, I, I definitely think that it's fair to look at it both ways. You know, maybe they should be more involved. A lot of them were during the pandemic and during the times of us going through the civil rights movement, as it were. 
And a lot of them have been able to do things behind the scenes that we don't know about. And then we get a chance to see later on somebody do something that, uh, that gets publicity. And sometimes they might feel a little jaded. So I do understand that there's a little bit of a balance that's needed. Um, but, you know, movements are movements. And as we go to the next thought, man, I think um, the topic of the day that I wanted to really spend, you know, a good deep amount of thought on is um, as we think about this new wave of trend of movements that we have going on in our community where we see the Me Too movement, we see the cancel movement, where they, they stand to kind of change the way we live socially amongst each other for the foreseeable future. And uh, sometimes people think that these are uh, temporary fads that are going to go away in you know a short amount of time. Um, but I actually think that these are situations that we're going to be living with for the, you know, rest of our lives and into the future. It's going to change the way that we live, uh, you know, movements of that nature, uh, you know, the Me Too movement and the cancel movement together to me represent stories being told where stories had not been heard before. Um, and anytime someone's not able to tell their story for too long, once they have an opportunity to tell their stories, you're going to hear the uglies. You're going to hear the falsehoods. You're going to hear the untruths. You're going to hear the misconceptions. You're going to hear the everything that came from all of the dirt and things that were lumped on to a person for so long or people. And when that comes right. out, it'll be tough, you know. Um, so I, I want to get a chance to talk about the idea of whether or not, you know, these types of movements uh, of, of storytelling movements where things are changing. You know, is, is that just a way, new uh, a way? Is that the way where we going to in the future? Or is that just a trend? And if if it's the way we're going to live, how should we, you know, I, I, say, I, think, right. I think Me Too movement, right? First of all, I think we need to put a disclaimer. First of all, it's, it's uh, three uh, men, right, on this uh, yeah. podcast, right? Um, I don't think that we necessarily... Uh, we can, what was it, sympathize, not empathize, I don't know how it goes, but like, I think those were serious, very serious cases, you know, some of them of rape, some of them of, um, you know, molestation, stuff like that. Um, I think that these women definitely need a platform to be able to tell their stories, you know, things that happen, especially with powerful men, you know, uh, having the ability to be able to, you know, get away with it. You know, um, I think about certain uh, folks like I said, Bill Cosby, I don't know if y'all heard me, but, um, you know, uh, and, and he ain't the only one. You know, what I'm saying there are tons, tons of white men, old white men, you know, who have gotten away with um, some of the dirt, you know, that they've done. You know, um, I think that the Me Too movement um it should. It, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of uh, 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 copycats. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of um, you know uh, 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 actual serious you know um, situations. And I think that because it's so it's such a it's become such a big movement. It's hard to kind of place each and every case. I think every case is a case by case thing. You know what I'm saying? That we have to really look at. You know what I'm saying? So. I think that with uh, especially with, I guess, the more recent version with the with cancel culture, um, I look at it slightly different. I look at it as 
I've been saying for a long time with all the technology that we're surrounded with, whether it be smartphones or laptops, tablets, whatever. Um, and you notice the same thing with social media, with Vine and Twitter and now TikTok. Um, it, it's a symptom. It's not the problem, but people um, are attention span. So when you, whether you're talking about clickbait and the way that, you know, people jump on certain news stories and certain news stories are almost like promoted by the media um, that, you know, the, the news is in the business of, you know, at the end of the day, they have advertisers. Advertisers are interested in viewers. So, you know, the news, even in that in and of itself, their job is to, I don't want to say sensationalize what's going on, but obviously when it involves high profile figures, celebrities, it's going to generate more viewers. Um, so I think that, um, you know, going back to the point about stories being told, um, you know, we now live in a time where it doesn't have to, uh, you don't have to go to a major media outlet for a story to go viral. A lot of these stories originate from a Facebook post or a Twitter post and um, people react. And is I think the, the danger in that. Is it a fake way for it to be like cancel? Like when you say cancel culture, is it like a fake way to keep accountability for like some of our celebrities? Like when I think about like cancel culture, like it's supposed to keep people accountable, right? I don't like even the, look at it as cancel culture as much as I look at it as outrage culture. I think that there is a certain segment of the population that, and this is similar to even if you don't go on social media, if you're just somebody that watches the news regularly every morning, um, or somebody that goes to check their timeline and mentions as soon as you wake up, it, you know, it's the same thing, but there is almost like a constant cycle of things to be outraged about. We as black men are in a convenient spot where we are impacted in some way. Some of us are working in places where uh, we're impacted by having to support these types of situations. Some of us are in relationships where we have to deliver certain levels of support. And so um, I guess that, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about is with the movements as they are when it comes to, you know, outrage culture and the difference between, you know, um, somebody who has a valid reason, as it were, or somebody who's a copycat, how do you feel like supporting one or the other? Is there a way to delineate between what you would say is a copycat or something that you would have that you would that you what what would it take for you to feel like something you would support versus not support? I think we're talking about two different movements, right? Like we're talking about like the Me Too movement, right? Copycats versus um, you know actual serious cases, right? Like so. Um, I, one, I don't want to be the judge of any of that. You know what I'm saying? At the same time, you know, like things like that uh, do happen. Some men, you know, one, you have your own character, having strong character, hopefully to help you deflect from many of those situations. You know what I'm saying? At the same time, you know, you think about like our grandfathers definitely are not us. You know what I'm saying? Probably couldn't even handle some of the culture that you see in uh in, in the workplace I, there was a funny snl um clip where uh it was th i think it was keenan he was supposed to be like this old black cop and um and it was just like white dude like this young white dude and the women were upset that you know the old i mean that the young white dude was um like hitting on them and 
called him baby and sweetheart and stuff like that, right? And so the black guy was like, he was like, I'm sorry, ladies, for calling you about uh, talking about your sweet thing. Mm, mm, that fat, mm, that fat rum round girl, you know, I sop you up like a biscuit. Mm, right? And the girls are like, oh, Uncle Charlie, just stop. You know, you crazy. We got to fire him. He's just an old man. That's right. honestly. I mean, well, that that right. that actually is an exaggeration. Know, that's a whole different conversation, Sean. But no, there's a certain there's a certain privilege that you get when you have lived to a certain age, <laughs> where can nobody really Should tell that you anything. You can say whatever. It doesn't matter if there's women or children present. It doesn't matter. The same as. The young executive, whether black or white, say sweetheart accidentally. Well, context matters. His wife. I, I'm just saying. I'm just context talking. matters. You know what? One of the things yep, I that do. I think it, perspective <laughs> is important. I think it's dangerous to use the word copycat because a lot of these uh, people whose stories we're hearing about, you know, they don't have any incentive. You know, to really come like some of these women, you know, these stories are decades old. Right. And, um, you know, it's not like they're trying to get a book deal or they're going to get any major, you know. That, but I, I think that by other women speaking up, it has made a more comfortable space for more people to come forward. So, you know, regardless of whether it was decades ago, or it was yesterday. And I think also just. Uh, you know, a little bit of my work experience, whether, you know, when I was educator, and I'm sure you could relate to this as well, like when you work in a, a work environment that is uh, female-centric, that is where you're working around mostly women all day, and you hear some of the stuff, you know, that they go through, you know, whether it be dating or just, you know, being out in the social world, and, and then, you know, obviously having a daughter adds perspective to that for me. Um and I think about some of the stuff, you know, some of the environments that we were in, you know, in our back in our early 20s, you know what I mean? And whether or not it was toxic, quote unquote, toxic masculinity, you know, I, I, you have to be honest. I, I would say yes. You know what I mean? Like, the, so I think I, that. I, I had a question. Yeah. Is it time yet to talk about toxic femininity? At, yeah. I, I think that, I mean, I. I I always look at the balance, right? I'm like, hey, hey. Like, I think think that toxic femininity is just as bad as toxic masculinity. And say at some point, sometimes toxic masculinity delineates from toxic femininity and then vice versa. What I mean by that is toxic femininity, sometimes toxic masculinity it sometimes come from toxic mothers, toxic aunts, toxic relationships that they've seen between their fathers and their mothers. Totally. They also can see that in the sons feeling the resentment from all of those different things and then later on becoming toxic themselves. And the vice versa with the girls. You know what I'm saying? So I think that we need to talk about it from a very balanced point of view. You know, like I get kind of scared when folks say toxic masculinity and they don't say toxic femininity because they forget the balance of, you know, the whole spectrum 
of what happens in our communities. The talent is in the humanity. Honestly, I think that sometimes we get caught up in the duality of things so much that we almost, it almost seems like we want to be divided because I don't really think that what one person on one side of the fence and one person on the other side of the fence want two different things. And that matters for all of the dualities that we see in our society. I don't think that men want something different from women. I don't think that Republicans want something different from Democrats. I think that at the core, everybody wants the same things. But people's politics get caught up in their stories being heard and being told. And so um, I think that, you know, for us being men, regardless of what we went through and regardless of what people on any other side of the fence that we represent go through themselves, we have to start learning how to have building bridge conversations because the reality is that we have to learn how to be that glue. We have to sometimes be the person that supports the people who are finally getting a chance to tell their stories. And I can tell you, it's not going to always be easy for anybody. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no. I, I agree with you on that. Um, uh, helping support women tell their stories is a very, very, is for one, any man that deals with a woman that has a um, traumatic uh, past, it's very difficult in one, trying to get them to help open that up, right? And, and right. telling you so that way you can help support them in that, right? At the same time, I think that um, men also have that as well. You know, oh, yeah. because, you know what I'm saying? I think that sometimes we try to, you know, look at us our, men as like, you know, these perfect creatures, you know what I'm saying? We can like fix it all. You know, at the right. same time, I think that we also come with that same mental health uh, situation that, you know, our sisters are sometimes under, you know what I'm saying? So I think that it's important, like, you know, as we get into like cancel culture, right? Because I think all of that affects cancel culture, right? Because, you know, when you talk about like canceling someone, a lot of it has to do with, you know, your own personal political agenda, your own feelings towards that person, you know what I'm saying? For example, like I think the whole Ice Cube thing was thrown out of proportion where, you know, folks wanted to cancel Ice Cube, you know, because he was re- willing to talk to Donald Trump's people on behalf of black America. I think that that I think that for black folks to want to cancel such an icon in our culture is just, a, you know, ridiculous. You know, Well, that's the thing. Um, I think that part of where you know, going back to what Nate said about, um, you know, people wanting to, uh, you know, pick a side one way or the other, um, whether it be in politics or whether it be in sports, everything has become polarized. Um, and I think politics is like the, the biggest example of that. You know, it's I, I, some of us are old enough to remember, you know, when Bush, when W was running and, you know, one of the things that he was able to use against John Kerry was him being a flip flopper. So like that used to be or even like people like McCain or you could even talk about our uh, president elect Biden being a centrist. You know, he's not the most liberal of the, the Democrat choices. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's become more so like a old model of somebody who's fair minded or balanced and where people get pushed to one side or the other um, with cancel culture is, um, you know, it's a, it's a knee jerk reaction and it's uh, you know, I think it's people's need to condemn 
it's almost like the same way that I don't understand why people at one time it was common for people to attend uh, hangings. You know, if it was a death sentence, you know, that was like a community event. Um, and it, it, it's eerily similar to, right. you know, the, the scene in the Western where they hang the bad guy, and, you know, people are there with their children watching uh, a man be executed. So I, I think that it's easy for people to throw stones and overreact when they see somebody uh, that's a, easy to point to as a poor example. Right. Hold on, hold on. I think it's folks. That, I think there are some folks that need to be canceled, though. I ain't gonna lie. Like, I ain't gonna lie. There's some folks that need to be canceled, though. Like, I don't think we should take that option off the table completely. I think that there's definitely some folks who have gone over the line and it's like, you know what, man, cancel. Like, you know, I think that we should reserve the right, you know what I'm saying, as a community to say, you know what, you are not living within our interests and, um, you know, you got to go. Sounds you know, like the return uh, tribal culture. Is, is it tribal culture? Looking at because, you know, in a tribal culture, you don't really always think about, you know, uh, incarcerating or uh, murdering or harming someone. Sometimes exile becomes an option because right. in a tribe, you exile someone from a tribe. You know what I'm saying? And so a lot of times what cancel culture is doing is we usher into a new way. We're in the, some people call the Aquarian age. We're at a time where we're trying to move towards a more natural way of living and thinking. Yo, and do it the way Dave Chappelle did it back in the day. We need to trade races. You know what I'm saying? We need to figure out, like, yo, we got five starters, yo. We about to trade five. You know what I'm saying? Condoleezza Rice was the perfect person to be traded. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, you know what I mean? That's cancel culture, in my opinion. You cancel, I mean, hey. Yeah, ain't cancel y'all just on that side now. I mean, but that's the thing. That's uh, you know, some of my uh, more open-minded friends, you know, <laughs> were very quick to uh, point out Biden saying, "If you don't vote for me, you ain't black." And it's like, you know, they will say, like, "How can you vote for a racist?" You know, the ninety-four crime bill, all of that. But then we'll just sit there and conveniently ignore all of the things over four years that Trump has said because you know we expect Trump to say those things. And it, it, you know, it's it just this past election, you know, not to dwell too much on that because I know we're talking about cancel culture, but that just showed uh, the hypocrisy of uh, when people, you know, come to things about canceling certain people and people's moral high ground. At the end of the day, people are still gonna, you know, align themselves accordingly. Um, well, anytime well, you get canceled after he leaves office. Will he get canceled? No, <laughs> not at all. Can't well, anytime he's still out here trying to just say he won. Hey, what do you mean? <laughs> we can't. They're like, it's not over. It's not over. Stop counting the votes. Like, no, it's not over. Yeah, right. <laughs> but anytime that you have a movement where people are starting to get um, an opportunity to do something that they haven't done before. It's going to have its um, positives and negatives, you know, and what what I heard from this conversation is that we have that there's positives and negatives on all aspects of it. But what we have to do is learn how to support the story being told, because no matter whether that story is, uh, is, is true or whether we consider that story to be a copycat or 
whatnot, we have to learn how to get better at listening to those stories. And uh, that's what I think that most people yeah. are asking for at the end of the at the end of the day. And us having that patience is going to lend itself to us in the future when we need people to listen to our stories. That's right. You know, so. Yeah, and I mean, just us as men, us as black men specifically, you know, especially when it comes to you know our sisters, like we can't sit there and say we want you know mainstream society to listen to our stories when you know at times we're the first ones to dismiss their stories you know so you know even when it comes to the situation with uh you know Meg the Stallion like I had a conversation with a friend about that and it's like you know I I, I have conflicted views about it you know because on one hand y'all it's do. like you know we're supposed to believe you know what do they say believe women but at the same time it's like when I when it looks like you're kind of making uh, like capitalizing off of the story, uh, you know, the, you know, obviously nobody would want their daughter to go through that situation being shot by some by a man okay. or just shot at in general. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like when it looks like maybe you're leaning into it a little bit and you're running with it to capitalize off it. It makes me question. I, 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 I wouldn't question that either. I wouldn't question that. Number one, it's wrong. You know what I'm saying? What happened was wrong, period, point blank. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, what's his name? Tory Lanez? He should have got canceled. You know what I'm saying? Let's cancel that guy. Well, I mean, he did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. For all intents and purposes. Then stories get changed. What happened with that one is that it was so fishy because the stories got changed. And, you know, the bodyguard, yeah. he gave his story. Uh, not to try to get all into tea and bullshit like that, but yeah. the story that bodyguard said was that the girl was trying to uh, was the first person that pulled the gun out, and yeah. that Tory Lanez was trying to take the gun from the girl. You know what I'm saying? And so that was when the gun went off. So like when all these different stories come out, and see this is the problem when you get these type of situations. Yeah. But that's the reason why I say still, you know, like the most important thing is to support people telling their story mm-hmm. because. We can't make a judgment one way or another because we understand that there's another story involved in that scenario. And so when we get to the point where we're talking about canceling, we do have to make sure that before we make a mistake as a society, we understand the true story and we know what the story is. And that was my stance on the whole Meg Thee Stallion thing, not trying to go into it too much. But my whole stance was like, I want to know the truth because I know men are not always guilty. And I know that women are not always innocent. And so in order for me to make the accurate judgment and make the accurate call for what I would do, I'm not there. I'm not the police officer. I'm not the bodyguard. I'm not the girl that messing with the good dude. I'm not the girl's friend that's messing with the other girl that's messing with the dude. I'm not none of those people involved. But if you're asking me what I would do, I'm going to have to tell you that before I can make any statement, I got to know what's really going on. You know what I'm saying? And so um, the reality is most of the time we're not really we're not really impacting situations anywhere. We're innocent bystanders and we're making judgment calls on stuff that's going on outside of us. But that's still shaping the community we live in. And that's that we're also a part of that cancel culture. Like, you know, I'm saying everybody in our own feelings and our own thoughts. And you think about like not only celebrities, just regular people sometimes go crazy over Instagram or over uh, Facebook or whatever, you know, how many likes they got, 
You know, how many did they not get? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This picture, how this picture look. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of made us turn inward and sometimes, like, you know, disassociate ourselves from others. You know what I'm saying? And um, put a lot of us in, like, a very lonely place. You know what well, I'm saying? Well, I mean, one of the things with just, you know, the, the cancel culture as a whole is kind of an extension uh, where, you know, in other countries where maybe they have a more traditional, like say they have a, like the queen of England, you know, they have a royal court, but it's like here in America, we don't have that, but it's like our celebrities become that. And, you know, one thing that regardless of whether it was Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson or Bill Cosby or any of these figures, we've seen that, you know, they're humans, you know, and that they have flaws just like the rest of us. But I think that far too often, People attribute, you know, because they admire one characteristic about a celebrity and or their story is something that they relate to and they gravitate towards. And then they put all these other things like, you know, we all was in college when Kanye was coming. Up. Right. You know, a lot of people canceled Kanye. Right. I, I, I never really did that because at the end of the day, you know, the reason that I even really messed with his art to begin with was man made great music. You know what I mean? You know, for a lot of other people. And himself, and I just respected his work ethic. You know what I mean? So, you know, like as far as his political views, whether it be him or Ice Cube or even 50, you know, like I never look to them. And it's important for us to make sure that we're instilling that in the younger, you know, in kids. It's like these celebrities, you know, are going to do stuff that's going to puzzle you, is going to, you're not going to agree with it. And you can enjoy their art and separate that from, you know, them as individuals. And they're artists, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you think about, like, Pablo Picasso, he went through a blue period. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All he did was draw paint, blue paintings, you know what I'm saying? Nobody, like, that's, that's, that's the, people look at that as a genius, like, that was a genius thing to do. Like, that's exactly what artists go through. Artists go through their emotional periods, you know what I'm saying, where they fall into certain things, you know, so. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just making a joke. You might have run out of paint, man, but you know, uh, relationships are important, man. As we navigate these dualities, you know, we got the man, we got the woman. And, you know, dating is a concept that we ain't going to never get away from, man. And uh, online dating is becoming more prominent than ever. Um, you know, uh, there's going to be fewer events to go to in the near future as COVID and the pandemic continues to constrain our travel and ability for people to go out. And I guarantee you, this is going to have an effect for years because even after that, even if we say that COVID is no longer problems, people are going to be slow to come out again. Some people are anyway. So my point is like, um, you know, I've always, you know, uh, known about people who use astrology for dating. You know, they use that as like a, a way to, you know, judge whether this is going to be a good relationship or not. Some people, they might, you know, always like exclusively use that. And some people don't, they look at it like it's food, food science and they don't really like to try to use that type of topic to kind of guide them. But, you know, I wanted to kind of think about it a little bit from a perspective of our, maybe some of our relationships like we moving into in the future are some of those relationships uh, in a good way because of a, the astrology matches or sometimes in a bad way because the astrology doesn't match. And maybe that's something that we need to learn how to use as a tool more. Should we use astrology more in dating? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a Scorpio. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just... I'm, like look, I'm a, Well, I'm, <laughs> hey. I, as far as horoscopes go, you know what I'm saying? 
I know about them, right? I, I have a I have a little bit of knowledge as far as horoscopes. Um, you know, I don't use it to figure out who I'm dating. I think that it's healthy to know, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do know that, you know, certain signs are compatible with my sign, right? Because I'm a Scorpio, you know, that means that I'm a, um, those are certain, what, what is it, like, Taurus and uh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, I know certain signs that I'm yeah. uh, compatible with. You know, but yeah. I, th- that, I think that it's healthy to look at that stuff, but at the same time, it's more about the person. You know what I'm saying? Getting to know who the person is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have my own traditional religion and stuff like that that I, you know, I, I, I prescribe to. It's kind of connected somehow, but uh, I don't kind of lean on that to get with it. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't, I kind of look at it the same way personally. Um, you know, I, Damn it, Wasabi, you already put it out there so that, you know, I, I know that I'm a Pisces. That's about all I got on that. Uh, you know, I never used that as far as to guide my, uh, I, I, I would say, like, I take the casual interest is, like, as you go along, but it's not like I'm asking somebody off the rip, like, what's your sign, you know, to see, like, you know, it's just interesting when you find out after the fact, maybe that somebody has a certain sign. Maybe like after the fact, you find out like a certain characteristic that was a certain sign that reminds you of somebody from back in the day. And it's like, huh. But I think ultimately, uh, you know, life experience, you know, the, you know, the environment that you're raised in, and your experiences that shape you, whether it be in early childhood or adolescence, I think those more so have an impact on who we are or who we become as adults more so than you know the day you were born on but i mean i I put about as much stock as in that is when i find out like certain celebrities have the same birth sign it's like when you think about it it's like that person yeah i i would have never thought that and then other people it's like oh i get it but look i will say this though like the the signs that are compatible with mine the two signs, I did marry two women with those signs, right? So I got to put it out there. And then, like, two of my long-term relationships was with those two signs. So I don't know if I'm sending it. I'm just looking this shit up. And I'm really, accident. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I'm looking this shit up. We as a community are really missing an opportunity, man, because, um, you know, I can guarantee you, that there are going to be some women that you date that are going to run through their whole astrology compatibility, whether that's right or wrong, whether you know it or not. And I'm not going to ever tell you that you should make a decision on uh, who you should be around and who you should date on astrology. But I can tell you this. Astrology is not always astrology is something that is important for us to learn what reference point of astrology we're talking about, because. Most of us refer to uh, what I might call, I know I'm not using the right word for anybody who wants to give it like scientifically and correct me, you can, but like European astrology, where we talk about um, like, uh, you know, Capricorn, Aquarius, uh, Pisces, all the way down to Sagittarius. But then like in other cultures, they look at it differently. And I can guarantee you, like it's used differently in different ways. When you have people who are born at different times, there's different energies of the year. Like, okay, the winter is a different energy than the summer. Nobody can fucking argue with that. 
Right. And so if you were born at a time where people were partying, feasting, enjoying their time versus a time where people were quiet in the house, being warm, it would be important to look at compatibility because when you marry someone or when you're dating someone, relatability is important and the tendencies are important. And so what I would say is like, what I was about to say earlier is that like in Korea, I spent some time in Korea and if a person wanted to get a job in Korea, they're going to want to know what your uh, astrology is and they're going to match it with the other people that already work there. If they think that your astrology does not match the environment of people that are already there, they're not necessarily trying to pick on you. They're just not going to put you in the environment with those people. You know what I'm saying? You do. You know so, that they're, they're, they brought that into like business culture now, right? Like in business culture, they they give it. Um, it's like I forgot what personality assessment. Personality, yeah, like kind of like personality yeah. assessments. They got like numbers and stuff like that, right? They break people down to to science like that and who to put with who in order to make better outcomes. You know? Exactly. Yeah, and like my, I agree with you. Like I know, I think what's important is to know for yourself your own horoscope. Like AD said, he knows his, he's a Pisces, right? So if I'm not mistaken. Pisces are very social creatures. They care about their friends a lot. You know what I'm saying? And this is just from basic stuff that I've been taught over the years. I know that Scorpios, we can, we're, we kind of tit for tat type of folks. Like if you really mess with us, we'll sting your ass. You know what I'm saying? But we're kind of back into a corner. We'll kind of hide until like, if, unless we think that we really in some trouble, you know what I'm saying? And so like, I, I know that about myself. And like anybody that I deal with, I would let them know like that's who I am. That's, that's the important thing to know. Like, and and different personalities are gonna interact with each other at different rates. Uh, and so, you know, what I would say is that it's important for people to understand that your horoscope is not just your sun sign. What you're talking about is your sun sign. And if you are to study your sun sign, you'll always get that information. But there's a there's so much more information. If you go on a basic level, you'll learn that you're Pisces, you're Scorpio, whatever. But that's the uh, planet that your sun was in. But there's a, your your sun, your Venus, your Mercury, your air. All of those are matters. So you got your birth chart. And I'm not going to try to get too deep into that right now. But it's way more than just your sun sign. And your sun is the leader. And so this is the way that, you know, you have to look at astrology if you're going to use it for any kind of compatibility or for understanding yourself your son is your leader so like for me i'm a virgo and that's going to be my leading sign virgo tendencies rule my being but on uh mars and venus i am a leo and uh venus is my interaction in terms of uh intimate relationships like venus is love so like the tendencies that i have that uh that relate to relationships and love come from a leo's perspective and also with mars those that's my personality on uh communication and conflict they also come from a leo's perspective and so since i understand what my planet mars and virgo i mean mars and uh uh uh, uh venus are in it allows me to have a little bit more insight because in a way my personality when it comes to love and my personality when it comes to conflict and communication is almost opposite than my Virgo sun sign. And so um, I would encourage you to know 
what your birth chart, where all the planets. I, I know for Scorpio. I know for Scorpio, um, we're passionate, right? Like we're passionate um, beings, and we're also fiery lovers. You know what I'm saying? Like you know what I'm saying? We oh, get shit in the bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, everybody know that about Scorpios. You know what I'm saying? That's just, that's just. Oh, just, man. We, um, I think we had a great talk, man. I think we went through a lot of good things, man. And so the audience got a chance to see us talk about some serious topics, a few light topics, you know what I'm saying? Shoot the shit, you know what I'm saying? So I want to give everybody a chance to know how to reach us, you know, because we are movement. And I can't stress to you, man, I've known these brothers for almost 20 years. And uh, the bond that we have is everlasting. And honestly, these conversations are going to happen regardless. And it came to a point where we decided that we should start sharing these conversations with our community because there are certain insights that we get from from the conversation that I think that we should be able to share. And I hope that you guys were able to share in this conversation and enjoy some of it as we open ourselves to you guys. You know what I'm saying? Like I told you what my name is. and You can find me. If you want to reach me on my Instagram, you can find me at, at doing my best with no T. You know what I'm saying? And um, you can also find our uh, Instagram for the page, uh, Martin X Malcolm. And uh, I also want to let you guys know that soon we're going to be coming out with a lot of other things. So just stay tuned. Yo, so me too, yo, Shaka at Shaka1962. I throw that out there. You know what I'm yep. saying? Yep. So, where can they find Shaka? You know what I'm saying? At illustrations at Shaka nineteen sixty two, all of that. I'm gonna put a highlight up on the board so that they see what your name how it's spelled. You know what I'm saying? Because when it comes to the IG names, man, can't nobody ever spell them shits. Ad man, how can folks get get up with you, man? Man, they can get up with me by tuning in to the Martin X Malcolm podcast. <laughs> I'm on IG, but this is how old and washed I am. I don't even know what my IG is. I don't. I have some followers. I've never posted on I wasn't even on IG. I still wouldn't be on IG if, if it weren't for Versus. That's the only reason I have an IG. So that said, stay tuned. And uh, I, I, next time I have my IG for the for the people. We're gonna make sure that we get we gonna we gonna get our marketing director on the IG and we're gonna make sure that you know we get all that linked up, man. Right. We gotta get we gotta get them locked in there, man, so we can get y'all locked in. So ASAP. like I Subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube, whether you're listening to us in your cars, whether you're watching this at your house, in the crib, on the vacation, on the holidays, man. Just enjoy it, man. This is a conversation for everybody, whoever you are out there in the world. You know what I'm saying? So this is us sharing our conversation with y'all, man. Hopefully y'all get a chance to share it with us. If you got a comment, man, you know, leave a comment at the uh, bottom, no matter whether your platform was YouTube or not. If you don't, you know, know where to leave a comment then definitely go to our YouTube page. Or go to our Instagram. Um, man, I want to let y'all go ahead and uh, say your pieces, and we out. Peace. 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 Peace.